Uh, Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 17 to 32 is our reading today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open that. We'll be reading it a little bit later. But I just want to have a little brief recap. Um, the first three chapters of Ephesians remind us of our position in Christ. Now, I want us, as I go through this, I want us to think about these because these are really, really important for us who are believers. So, the first three chapters remind us about our position in Christ and the many promises and the many privileges that are ours in him through faith. The last three chapters are a call to live lives worthy of our calling, the great calling of Christ on us, to walk as children of the light and to will and to to work, that is to make decisions and make the necessary effort in spirit and in truth as children of God so completely loved. So chapters 1 to 3 are about who we are in Christ and chapters 4 to 6 is about our response our overflow to who we are in Christ. As far as I can see, Ephesians is one of those letters that we as Christians should reread and reread. In fact, if we were ever going to learn a, a Bible book or a letter off by heart, I think that Ephesians is one of those. The first three chapters are so important even more important than the last three because the last three are impossible without the first three. So I really encourage you, because I don't have the time to go through those three chapters today, but I really encourage you to do some homework. Read those chapters, take them into yourself. As many of you may know, I was an electrician before I became a pastor. I was an electrician for 30 years or so. Um, So I just want to talk a little bit about how that happened. Initially how it happened is that some of my friends at school were talking about the apprenticeships that would come out each year from the sugar mill and some of my close friends were really keen on becoming electricians so that's what I was just something I heard about. Oh those electrical apprenticeships, I can't wait for the advertisement to come out and through those conversations the thought of an electrical career started to birth in my mind, in my thinking. Because the electrical apprenticeships were filled out that year, I applied for them the next year and I was blessed enough to receive one. An apprenticeship requires commitment. Four years of training. Now, when you're a young fellow, four years is like a lifetime. You've never committed to anything in your life so long as that. So there is a commitment. Four years of training and learning and that's just the beginning. The thing is though to be called an electrician is not just thinking about it and it's not just talking about it, it's not just being excited about the possibilities. Those things don't qualify you. It's not about starting an apprenticeship and cutting out halfway through. That doesn't qualify me either. One thing you learn though is once you've completed your apprenticeship is that you will spend your rest of your life learning more. There'll be new things to learn There'll be new rules that you have to get hold of. There are rules to follow. There's no shortcuts. There's always something new to practice, to learn. There are ways of doing things right and safely. People depend on it. The lives of people depend on you doing what you do right. 
You simply can't know everything all at once. Still though, you are an electrician because you've finished your time. An overseeing body has said, because you have met the requirements, you can become an electrician. So the way to become an electrician is first through hearing about it, then by really wanting it, committing yourself to the apprenticeship and then by going all the way, learning all there is to learn. There is no joining in from the sidelines. There's no jumping the fence. No, the authorisation comes by entering the right way, signing the contract and committing yourself to the end. So let's open the word of God together this morning and I pray that he will bless us and bend us in its reading. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each, one of, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit whom you, have, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. So thanks be to God for his word. When I read this passage, this passage of scripture, I think there are a few obvious things, at least they were to me, that that sort of catch my eye. In fact, they kind of poked me in the eye. One is the former man, the second is the forgiven man and the third is the future man. So let's have a look at the former man, what we were before we were forgiven, what those who are still in their sins still are. 
They are darkened in their understanding, futile in their thinking, separated from God because of ignorance, have no sensitivity to sin, given over to sensuality and impurity, constantly lustful, speakers of falsehood, angry and thieves. They tear others down with their words. They are grievers of the Holy Spirit. They are bitter, filled with rage. They are brawlers and filled with every kind of malice. Now, I don't know about you, but I think they're pretty strong words. The language that Paul uses here with a man who doesn't believe, I think, is pretty confronting. It leaves the hearers in no doubt of what they are and who they are apart from Christ. When I look at these words, if somebody had spoken those words to me as an unbeliever, there is no doubt I I would have responded. I would have responded with offence. How dare you say these words to me? But in reality, looking back, that's entirely who I was. Maybe not to the degree that I could have been, but I still was. The scriptures tells us that no one can come to the Father but who he draws. And I think that's the big deal. To use these words on somebody that the Father is not drawing to himself will highly likely cause offence. But you know what? That's actually okay. The scripture tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses verse 4 chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 the gospel is an offense it's foolishness it's veiled to those who are perishing. We don't know who the father is drawing. We're just told to preach the gospel. That's our mandate. Yes, we do it with sensitivity and yes, we do it with love but that does not mean that it's devoid of truth because even if they allow themselves to be offended when God does his drawing on their heart, that offence will fall away. That is my story. I don't know how many times people stop me and try to talk to me about Jesus and every time I'm going, no, again, I am sick of this stuff But the moment he grabbed my heart, all the offence was gone. And I've heard many, many testimonies about the same. The Apostle Peter in uh, Acts 2 spoke to a huge crowd of people. It was huge, 20,000 people most likely. That's besides women and children. And what you see in that passage is that he didn't water anything down. He spoke directly to the sins that these people had. He spoke directly that they had nailed the Saviour to the cross. He preached the gospel unreservedly. And what we see is that 3,000 were being drawn of God that day. 3,000 people. They were confronted with their sins. You know, the others that were there, the 17 plus thousand, most likely would have been highly offended. Being the Jewish people that they were, if they heard that something may have been a heresy, they would have torn their clothes and thrown dust in the air and all sorts of other carry on. But Peter preached to them all the same. 
Well, how do we see it today? We live in a world today where if you speak Jesus' name or if you stand for justice and righteousness, you can lose your job. You'll be victimised. When, when we say things in loving kindness, you will be, be accused of hate speech. Vitriol will come your way. This is how it is. When we preach the gospel in today's environment, we may even end up in jail. So we become scared. We become so scared that we might offend people. And so this is what the gospel might look like in today's world. You know what? You actually are a pretty good person. But you know, just to complete you, just to round you off, you need Jesus in your heart. You know, and when you ask him into your heart, you know, he's going to bless you and he's going to prosper you and voila, everything's going to be great. But that's not Paul's gospel. That's not Peter's gospel. That's not Jesus' gospel. That's a false gospel. It's the doctrine of devils. And that is what so many of our young people are hearing today. Not just our young people. That is just the devil's work. And when we speak that sort of gospel in this world today, all we are going to do is we are going to deceive people into thinking that they are bound for heaven and when they leave this life they're going to climb aboard a train that is headed to a destination that is a whole lot hotter than they were anticipating. As I said before, doing it right, people's lives depend on it. That's taking the shortcut when we preach a gospel like that. That's trying to get in on your own terms. That's jumping the fence. No, the reason Paul is speaking so with such tough language is because we need to come face to face with our sins. This is the gospel message. The more we recognise our utter sinfulness, the more we recognise our desperate and dire need of a saviour. The one who forgives our sins. The mountainous pile of sins that we have. And the more we realise how mountainous our sins are, the more we will love the one who forgives them. Luke 7, we read about the sinful woman who anointed Jesus at the Pharisee's house and the Pharisee was disgusted. Does he know who this sinful woman is that's touching him? And Jesus knew, of course. I don't know if I have that. Two people, this is, Jesus shared a parable. Two people owned, uh, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back. So he, gave, he forgave the debts of both. So Jesus says, now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. The former man needs to hear the words. Again, just like my story above, it's only when I heard the talk about becoming an electrician that the thought started to bud in my mind. 
We must preach the truth even to those who don't want to hear it so that the seed of the gospel can germinate. I wonder how many people spoke to me. I wonder how many people spoke to you about something you really didn't want to hear before it started to form up in your mind and say, you know what, this is not such a bad thing. Maybe I can get on board with this. So now let's take a look at the forgiven man. This is the man who has come to an awareness of his sins. He has become heartbroken over them. He is a, for the, the man who has recognised his need of a saviour and res, has responded in repentance and faith. This is the only way a man can be called a Christian. There's no shortcuts into this thing. The Apostle Peter knows this and he quotes in Acts 4.2 that neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. John 14.6 Jesus said to him I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. These are exclusive words. This is the only way we can call ourselves Christians. There's no other way. I have to know what I'm committing to. I have to be prepared to sign the contract and be willing to pay the price. We're not Christians before repentance and faith. It takes repentance and faith, Jesus tells us in Mark 1.15, to enter the kingdom of God, to be called a Christian. You don't have to wait until you know more because there's always going to be more to learn. We will never know it all in this lifetime. Just as when I completed my apprenticeship, I was an electrician, but I knew very little. And as well, I was well aware that the learning was going to be a continual thing throughout the rest of my life. But there are some necessary elementary teachings that I must learn to be an electrician. And there are some necessary elementary teachings for the forgiven man. The forgiven man is the man talked about in the first three chapters of this letter. The forgiven man is us, each one of us. He is the one who has now received, listen to these things, this is who you are, this is who I am, He is the one who has received every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow! He is adopted as the Son of God. He is the recipient of glorious grace. He is filled and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is redeemed and is God's possession. God owns you. Before God owned you, you were children of the devil. I was a child of the devil. But now we are God's possession. He is filled with the resurrection power of Christ. In God's mercy, he has made us alive and we can never become dead again. If we are made alive... We can never become dead again. No one can snatch us out of his hand, no matter what sin that we commit. 
The dividing wall of sin has been destroyed. All of this, all of what I just said there, is what you receive the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. The moment you respond to his call. With electrical apprentices, there are those who are very well trained, those who have who, who've been fortunate enough to have great teachers who have been exposed to a great variety of work, to the concepts of electricity and so on. What that will do is it's going to put them in great stead. They will have confidence and they will have capability to go out and in, and and do this career for the rest of their lives. But there are those who are a little less fortunate, those who have perhaps not had such great teachers, those whose training has been quite narrow, those who have done just enough, just enough to meet the requirements to become an electrician. But the problem here is that most likely for them, throughout their whole career they will struggle, lacking confidence lacking capability. It's often just the same with entering into this faith relationship with Jesus. Now, if the former man, a sinner, can genuinely believe in Jesus with minimal amount of information, and he can, it's highly likely likely he's going to be constantly struggling, constantly doubting with his identity in Christ, that his walk is going to be difficult, and is going to have difficulty with victory over doubt. The likelihood is it's going to be hard for him to mature into a man of faith. It's like trying to build a tower on a garden paver. It will never be steady, it will never be stable and it will never be strong. Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, this is the person who doesn't have that great teaching, that discipleship at the start, that he'll be tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every time somebody introduces a new idea, a better way of believing in Christ, the new gospel will be here and will be there. Our foundation is so small. By every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings, People are out there, the devil is out there to derail you. You need to have, I need to have a strong foundation in Jesus. The apostles knew this. Again in Acts 2, after Peter's confronting teaching on sin, on the the nailing of Jesus to the cross, the people were cut to their heart and they said to the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's response, repent, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're just to look at that statement alone, there is so much foundational teaching, many sermons just in that. The passage, though, says that with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, he taught them, he encouraged them right at that moment. As a result, 3,000 were baptised and added to the number that day. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, it talks about the elementary teachings about faith in God. 
the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, of faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And in our passage this morning, in verses 20 to 24, which I'll read to you, we see the same sort of thing. There's these essential teachings around the birthing of a person into the Christian faith. It says, That, however, is not the way you learned. There was teaching that they received when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self. So I imagine that what's happening here is that when Paul is speaking to unbelieving people, he's saying, this is what you are, but now this is what you should expect to be. If this is the Jesus you want to believe in, this is the expectation that will be upon you. You need to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like Christ created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There are elementary teachings that are essential for the newly forgiven man. And as I said in the electrician illustration, there are, there are ways of doing this right and safely. People depend on us doing it right and safely. Their lives are on the line if we don't do it right. Heaven forbid that we should preach a half gospel or a false gospel that would put people on a train to hell. What next then? The newly faith-filled, baptised believer will spend the rest of his life learning and maturing spiritually into the likeness of Christ. This is where we meet the future man. Though he has received the title of Christian and is identified as a follower of Jesus, the rest of his life will be about building on that foundation, building on the foundation that was laid at conversion. Paul starts this message of scripture off in verse 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. They're not gentle words that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, no longer live the way you once did, but now you are to live as a forgiven man. Paul uses firm language towards the former man, the forgiven, the former man, the forgiven man, and now also he uses firm language for the future man. <clears throat> Paul calls us to spiritual unity and maturity while warning us against worldliness, warning us against gullibility. He appeals to us to renounce our fleshly lusts, our worldly ways, our unclean thoughts and our greedy attitudes while clothing ourselves with the new godly morality. We're to put off the old sinful man and put on the Christ-like man. But here's the problem. This is impossible for us 
to do. It's an impossible life to live. Look at these things. We are to speak truthfully to our neighbours. We're to not sin in our anger. We're to be honest in all our dealings, to work honourably with our hands so that we can share what we have with the needy. We're to speak only what is good and valuable for building people up. To get to know people's needs that we might benefit them. We're to be constantly humble and repentant. Now, how are you going? That you may maintain intimacy with the Spirit who lives in you. We're to chop down the tree of bitterness and poison its roots, exhibit the fruit of the Spirit through acts of kindness, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, if I were to take a personal inventory of the behaviours of a future Christian person right now, I'd have to say that pretty often my storehouse is empty, almost at least. And I suspect that's often how it is for us. Again, this life, these requirements are impossible for us to live apart from Christ. But this is the great thing. This is the ongoing work of Christ in us. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we are to have these things instantaneously. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that we can do such things apart from Christ. (coughs) In Matthew 28, Jesus says, After they have become my disciples, you are to baptise them, to go on teaching them, continually instructing them to obey all that I have commanded you to do. And in Acts 2, again we read, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God and to fellowship. They didn't just come to Jesus and that was all it is. I'm on my bike, see you later. No, something changed in them. They just wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to gather together and hang out with Christian people to learn these amazing truths that God was pouring out on them by their grace, by his grace. In Hebrews, we see the instruction to go on to maturity. In 1 Timothy 13 and 14, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, says Paul, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Exceptional stuff this. How exciting it is to be a Christian. How exciting it is to be this child of God that God is doing amazing work in. Of course, it doesn't mean that we take a back seat and swing our arms back and take it easy. No, it means that we have to commit ourselves to allow Christ to do his work in us. We're to constantly focus on the one. To have Christ in us, to have the righteousness of God in us is is, is amazing. It's not unbelievable, it's amazing. And when we recognise in ourselves that we're not living this responsible life, 
what's our response? We call out to Christ and we say, Jesus, I see the error in me. Help me stand aside that the power and the life of Christ that's in me can live out through me. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is something that we have to commit to and our commitment is to allow Jesus to do his transforming work in us so that when we are walking out there in that community, people will see Jesus people and not flesh people. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. And as I said at the beginning, it's the first three chapters of this letter that are so important. They are so important. Even more important than the last three because without knowing faith, without being in Christ and Christ being in us, without knowing who we are in Christ, without knowing the privileges and the promises and the power that we have in Christ, this life is impossible to live. But in Christ, all things are possible. As true believers, we will want to see Jesus' life lived out from us. As true believers, we will want to live the forgiven life, the victorious life. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not about how much I can do for Christ. It's about how much Christ has done for me. In Christ, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. This is amazing stuff. You have taken us from darkness. You have planted us in your glorious light. You have broken that heart of stone and you have put, put in us a heart that is mouldable. You have taken away sin and defeat and you have given us righteousness and victory. All because of Christ and his cross and the privilege it is to trust our lives to him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before our